Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, alongside the one, the only, Dwayne Drum, brother, what are you doing? <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm upset at the successful people right now. I'm really upset with them. How's that? Why didn't they tell me it was like this? Like, like they made it seem like you're on a yacht, chilling and vacationing every single day. They didn't tell me that you're going to work every hour of the day. Like, they didn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> That's just on startup, dude. It I'm gets easier later. Them. Don't worry. That's what they all tell you too, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it does. You just keep changing hats. That's the thing. So you go from being busy in one thing to something else, and eventually you start handing all that off, and then you look back and you say, man, that was fun. Okay. It's good stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's what they say. So today, guys, we got a special guest, somebody that uh, I've personally engaged with my business and he's been, it's transformed our business. Uh, and I wanted to bring you to you guys out there to listen because, you know, there's something that I struggled with for a long time, which was, you know, some of the number side of the business, right? The, the CFO function of the business. And, you know, I love very passionate about delivery and, and uh, the customer experience and, you know, to deliver amazing designs and outdoor living spaces to people. But at the end of the day, without having the numbers, lined up and understanding where you can go, it really, really will stunt your growth, right? And what's the right margin if, if you know, and again, we're going to get to a lot of this here with uh, with our guests, but how to make sure you're running a healthy business, you know, and it's, some people just think they are and, and, and you're going to find out pretty soon whether you are or aren't. So um, our guest today, he's the author of a book called Simple Numbers. And he also, I believe, has a sequel out to it, Simple Numbers 2.0. He's a speaker, an entrepreneur, and a financial expert. Um, he has simplified the financial side of business so that anybody can understand it. He creates like these, these kind of dashboards where you can see all the different functions of your business and the, the number side, the critical pieces, and then you can see how to adjust those. That's really the kind of cool part of it. So without any further ado, Greg Crabtree. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate uh, being able to share with your audience. Today. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, just to break in a little bit further here, um, you know, in my business master plan, we've been you know running now ten solid years, having a lot of fun, growing like crazy. And you know, one one thing that plagued me was, okay, well, we know at the end of the year we want to make X amount of dollars, right, a certain percentage. But what does a healthy business look like at the end of the year? Like, what is a margin that makes sense? And and does my salary go in there ahead of time, or is that what we take out of profit? And how does that impact it? Like, so, Greg, I'd love to open by asking you first. Um, what does a healthy business look like percentage wise? Like what should we be striving for? And so kind of in my journey, you know, I, I've always loved working with the entrepreneur, you know, the privately held business. And, 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 and I was fortunate enough to work with some really good business owners who 
you know, I, I, I studied them more than they listened to what I told them. And, and it's like, what, what are they looking at? What, what makes sense? And, and the first thing that I noticed was that the weakness, the reason why people don't look at data more objectively within their businesses, they create all these distortions as an owner of the business. You take certain liberties um, either to run business expenses through the business. Although, eh, you know, that, th that's actually not the issue. It's the owner comp issue that creates the greatest distortion. And a lot of this was kind of created by the franchise industry. And there's a concept called ODI, Owner's Discretionary Income, that the franchise sales industry tries to convince you that it's profit before owner compensation is, is what you should, should look at. And I go categorically false. I mean, that is, that's one of the worst ideas I've ever seen in business because last time I checked, um, you actually kind of do something in your business every day. And if you didn't show up for work, you'd have to hire somebody with a similar skill set to do the things that you do every day for your business. You have a job. And, and it created this, this, this segregation of a mindset that said, listen, I've got to compartmentalize. I have a job to do, and I should get paid a market-based wage for the job that I do. And then I need to get a return on what I own. And I've long since, you know, and then kind of with the first book, I hit upon a way to help people that own the business to understand the, the significant value that you can create being a, a, a business owner. And, and the return on investment of a business is so phenomenal when it's run correctly. I mean, it pales everything else that you can do, you know, by miles and miles. I mean, yeah, real estate can be a good investment, but it's not an operating business. You can invest in the stock market. You can invest in alternative investments. You can throw money in Bitcoin and that, that, that might be a little bit of a Ponzi scheme as we might eventually find out. But, but whatever you end up doing, I mean, the business is that stable thing that creates a great return on investment. In the first book, I, I did it by observation. So one of the interesting things that I have access to is, so our practice is unique in a sense that, um, you know, I, I started my practice, had some partners, and over the years, you know, we, we realized that we needed to flip the model and say, yeah, we do tax returns, we do opinion financial statements, we do outsource bookkeeping, but what our clients really need is guidance of how to run a profitable business. And so we turned our model around and said, we lead with consulting. And oh, by the way, if you need any of these other things that accountants do that are commodities, yep, yeah, you know, we can do those. But the lead thing that we do is consulting. Now, fortunately for us, we have a very diverse practice and that our clients, my office is based in Huntsville, Alabama. And this is where most of our staff is. We have some remote staff, but 90% of what we do is not in Huntsville, Alabama. So we have clients all over the U.S., Canada, Australia, Latin America, Southeast Asia. Uh, and, and so we get to see a very interesting swath of the economy. And when I was doing research for the first book, I used a 50-company data set, you know, to, to, to look at some of these issues. And, and I, I basically opined that you're on life support at 5% profit. You're a good business at 10. You're a great business at 15 and when you're above 15, take it while you can get it because the marketplace will compete you back to 15. Now, that was set on observation. And that works for about 70% of the businesses out there. But there was that 30% that I couldn't give a definitive answer for. And so as I kept studying it, and over the next 10 years, as we worked on new stuff, and I came out with a simple numbers 
I was uh, fortunate enough, I'm in a group called the Entrepreneurs Organization. And one of the things that I get to do in that organization is I chair a executive ed program through them at Wharton Business School. And in the first year of the program that I was sitting through, just like everybody else, you know, the professor was talking about this concept called return on invested capital. And essentially, return on invested capital is kind of a modified equity number. Essentially, you're stripping out non-essential business assets and liabilities. That's the junk that people put in their business that don't matter. It, It doesn't apply to the actual operations of the business. And you normalize the data. And and so you know, it was a calculation that I'd done in college, but I hadn't used it for any clients. And and as I kind of noodled on it and thought, well, I got this data set I can apply it against. I mean, when I came back from that first class and, and did the study, I was shocked. I mean, our average client base, and, and we'd up the model to 100 companies at that time, the average client was about 75% return. So think about this. I mean, if you've got $100,000 to invest and I said, hey, Joshua, uh, how about I give you a 75% CD? Would that be a good idea? You think you'd be interested 100%. in that? And, yeah, and yeah. the correct answer is yes. And, and so, yeah. And so, so you give me 100000 A year later, I, I say, okay, well, here's the 100000 Here's your 75000 of interest. Oh, wait a minute. By the way, that 75000 is taxable. So IRS got to get their cut. So let's say that's probably about thirty grand. So now you've got one hundred and forty-five thousand dollars, one hundred forty thousand dollars to uh, to reinvest. Would you like to do yes. it again? <laughs> yes, All day yes. long. Yeah, absolutely. All day yeah. long. And 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 so that is business. That is what business can do. Now the thing is that we screw it up. Is we mess around with that return number because we play games with our compensation. You know, we we either overinflate profitability by not taking a salary, or sometimes you try to take too big of a salary and, and put too many expenses through the business because, oh, wait a minute, I, I don't want to pay taxes. Well, you know, what if I came to you and you it said, hey, I'm going to give you a 75% CD, and right before I give you that CD, hey, hey, Joshua, you know, I know you don't want to pay you know, $30,000 in taxes. How about we just waste $70,000 of that so you don't owe any tax? Yes, exactly. Well, that's what the average business owner does that when they have this tax mindset. Mm -hmm. And they said, listen, you know, and I made this statement in the first book and I stand by it today. If you didn't write a big check to pay taxes, there's only two things that happen. You either didn't make money or you cheated. And both of those are bad. Hmm. And, and it's like this this whole fantasy idea of people not paying taxes. I, I got news for you. This is where my professional peers do not do a good job of being honest with you, because most of the time what people say they save taxes, they just moved it yeah. to a different year. That, that's not saving taxes. That, that's just playing a shell game. It eventually comes home to roost once somehow, some way, unless you cheat. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm not a fan of that. So, so the idea is let, let's just be be straight up Greg, with it. I got a question for you. you. Know, so, uh, yeah, didn't mean to stop you. Sorry, I thought you stopped. Um, you said there is like thirty percent of your clients that you couldn't get your finger on. What were they, and what were yeah. they doing? What was what's that thirty well, percent? So it goes it goes back to this idea of return on invested capital. The aha moment that I had from doing that first year class that I did at Horton, and we've continued to do it every year since, is is the idea that a your profit has to meet a minimum return on investment. 
And so our belief is a viable business in a developed economy, U.S., Canada, Australia, you, you need a minimum 50% return on investment. Now, the thing is, all these businesses have different levels of investment. You know, so do you carry receivables or do you get paid upon service or do you get paid in advance? That affects how much money you have to invest to run a business. Do you have to carry inventory? Do you have work in progress? Do you have a substantial investment in equipment and, and facilities? Do you get support from vendors to where I can offload that? Do, uh, and as I said, do you get customer deposits in advance? It's the capitalization structure that tells you, you know, what you need. And so therefore, if you're a business that requires a million dollars of capitalization structure for the, for the business that you're running, your minimum profit target is 500,000. Uh, that's an easy number to hit. Now, beat it if you want to, but 500,000 is your minimum or else you're not going to be around very long. And, and because you have to hit that profit level relative to the investment. And we see that it's been the greatest thing to kind of, you know, fish through all the stupid things that people with money do all the time. Because it's like a great example lately is, you know, you look at what Zillow did, you know, in terms of, I mean, they, they thought they were going to be brilliant and buy up all these homes. And, you know, and I mean, they were making, they were hoping to make like one or 2% on every transaction until they started losing money on transactions. And that, that didn't work too well. And, and once again, it, that, that business model from the first time one of my realtor clients told me about it, I said, that is nuts. And it, it just fails everything on the return on investments uh, uh, and return on invested uh, capital standard, you know, that's there. And so when you look across the landscape, you know, so services businesses that, you know, can get paid early. So one of our favorite business models is IT management companies. So your IT, you know, you, you manage people's uh, IT infrastructure and you get paid a fixed amount per seat. You know, those are great business models. We do quite a few of those. One of our favorite ones, because you're always ahead on cash. So you get paid at the first of the month to do this regular recurring service. And if you structure it right, you're probably going to be 15 to 20% profit and you're going to be probably 150 to 200% return on invested capital. Now, the challenge is, I mean, that's a great return. Can you grow it? So you're only, you're not a cash restricted business. You are a business that can grow based on execution. And, and so, so there are businesses that exist based on I have cash and that gives me power. But the real power in the entrepreneurial world is the ability to execute. And, and when you structure, and what's, what's been fascinating is once we've identified these concepts of capitalization relative to profitability, our clients have a much clearer understanding of which, which knob to, to push. And really, they understand I've got to be better at executing than my, my competition. That, that's really what sets me apart. And so can I go win the customer? Can I serve the customer? Can I make them a repeat customer? Can I manage my team in this world of limited labor to go get the people I need, have them go through a fairly fast arc before they leave to go do something else? And can I replace them? And, and that ability to, to do labor management, that ability to do coordination amongst all of these components that every business has, you know, those are the ones where the businesses that really start to step out and, and really produce those phenomenal returns. Now, Greg, um, 
I mean, all that stuff is fantastic. I, I love all of it, but I, I want to make sure that we're landing it on the, the listeners. You know, a lot of the guys and gals that are listening are yeah. startups or they're, you know, they, they kind of mm-hmm. own their jobs at this point, trying to make the transition into business owner and, or they're starting this year to see some profit and starting to see some monies come in and the fruits of their labor, uh, all of those things. Um, so from the contractor side, I know you, you guys do work with a lot of contractors, including mm-hmm. myself, but, uh, how does this land for them? When you talk about owner's compensation being a part of the profit at the end of the year versus it actually being uh, planned in like if you were an employee, talk about that difference. Right. Cause that was a big shocker for me when I first heard that. I'm like, it's such a simple thing. Yeah. So big. Yeah. And, and that's, that's certainly key because that gets you to financial truth. Cause the first thing you got to know is, you know, what, what is the market value of the thing, the job that I do, those numbers are knowable. I mean, it, it's not, it's not, what paying yourself what you were doing before you did that it's you know you can go to salary.com or those things and and plug in here's the industry here's the role that i'm at you know what should i make the thing about contractors is think think of it like this is you know a contractor is doing a lot of volume the number may be big at the top and if you actually look at the simple numbers 2.0 book i I mean the simple numbers straight talk big profit the first book page 22 is an example I put a model in there of a contractor, and it shows that a $20 million general contractor is roughly the same business model as a $3.5 million services business. Because once you pass through the COGS, which for a a general contractor is going to be your subs and your materials, you get down to a gross margin number. That gross margin is the true economic top line of the business. And so that's the one thing that you have in the contractor world of distortion. You know, you got people running around all day telling you they're a $25 million business. And they go, no, you're not. You know, after you after you take – tell me what you're doing after subs and materials, and that's the size business that you yeah. really are. And then you're trying to bring profit to the bottom line. So there's a couple of psychological things that relate to the salary piece that, that are huge. Number one is we believe, and we've seen this prove out time and time again in our data, you'll defend getting your salary before you'll defend hitting a profit target. And so one of the keys of making your nut is I, I got to get my salary built in there and make sure I get that paycheck every week just like everybody else. So that that's more of a psychological play than anything. But secondly, you know, you've got to look at it and say, we've got contractors across the spectrum because this capital thing does matter in the contracting world. And so I can't, even though it's a little more of a complex idea, I, I would be remiss to your listeners for them to not to understand it. We have contractors, general contractors, that don't pay their subs until they collect from their customer. Mm-hmm. That can't happen. We've got some contractors who, give into their subs and give into their suppliers and pay them before they get paid. Those are two completely different capital models. Yep. And so when I take my AR plus work in progress minus accounts payable, that's an important net capital. We call that trade capital. And I'm not trying to, don't count my cash. Don't count a lot of credit. What is that trade capital investment? And so if you're a good manager of resources, essentially, what, what is a general contractor? Because you, you're not self-performing. In, in most cases, you're not self-performing, although we do, we do see opportunities to self-perform and pick up extra margin. But if you're a good coordinator of resources, which is what a contractor is, 
you're making sure that I've got a minimal amount of my money invested in turning over that activity. And where every contractor goes out of business in is when they start having to invest their cash to turn over a low margin activity. I mean, I, I can manage a low margin activity if I don't have any cash invested. Mm-hmm. I just need volume. But when I need volume and a low margin and I'm having to invest money to do it, that's a loser. Yep. And so you got to go back to the drawing board and say, or, you know, is it possible? Are there are there subs that will work with me that way? Well, in a tight sub market, it's kind of hard to do. In a tight materials market, you know, those guys are kind of wanting to be paid or else they're going to ship those materials to somebody else. And so somewhere in there, I've got to work the process to say, you know, can my customer get a draw on, uh, on, you know, from their customer to make sure that they get paid for those things, you know, timely. And, and we see this all the time in terms of contractors that are too busy to work up a draw schedule, you know, to get paid. And it's like, well, how dumb is that? That should be the first thing you're thinking about every day is making sure you can draw everything you can, because you have to lower that investment. Yeah. The other thing is just not understanding margin in terms of each of the activities and pro- whether it be by project or type of activity. Um, one of our restoration contractors, great story on this one that kind of illustrates the point. He was trying to target a 40% margin on his restoration, you know, whenever water damage or, you know, uh, those kind of repair projects. And we're, we, we stack ranked all of his jobs and we we're going through them from best margin percentage to smallest. And we, we saw some at 20% margin, but they were about, you know, 30%, you know, margin out of the job. And he said, well, well, tell me what happened. Why was this one only 20% if you're targeting 40? Ah, I shouldn't have done that. He says, well, why not? He says, well, it was just a landscaping job that we don't do those. And I just picked up the phone and called a buddy of mine. And he took care of it. W- w- wait a minute. You picked up, you, none of your guys did anything. on it. No, nah, no, nah, I just picked up the phone and called you. Listen, if you picked up the phone, made $30,000, and you didn't pay your the sub who did it until you got paid. You do that all the time. You do that as many times as it presents yourself. Yep. Because you fall in love with this target percentage. And it's really about the the thing I want to elevate people's mind to is how much margin you create for the least amount of cash you have invested in it is the secret weapon yep. of business. That's the superpower. So what you're saying is, is that the fact that he was able to just pick up the phone, call somebody, make 30 K didn't have to do anything. That's actually good business. It is absolutely. Okay. Because you, you got paid for your ability to be at the right place in the, in the, in the transactional chain of things. Okay. And when you're able to do that, then, you know, that's where you, that that's where that's your value add. Okay. Uh, Otherwise, you know, every dollar that goes through your hand is going through somebody else's and there's none left over for you. And that that's not a good situation for a contract. Yeah. There's another thing that we do, too. We actually have really unique, healthy draw schedules like we pay attention to what's going to come out and stuff like that. But we're still in the process of paying paid when paid. But we actually make sure that we are paid. It's no 50 percent here. And when it's done, another 50 percent. Right. We actually are paying everybody through the process. And one of the rules that I actually do have, and I do need to read the book, um, that uh, this is something I have adopted within the past two years is I pay really fast. 
So, I mean, if you want to get paid, just send me an invoice. You know what I mean? Because mm. I'm paying it really fast. I, I don't hold on to it. I don't want it forever because I actually do, am getting the draw schedules paid from the clients and it's rolling through. Is that a bad thing, good thing, or is it just, is it following the procedures? Well, I, I would, I would say following a process. Yeah. And so the, the, you know, in the, in the first book, we talk about this cash flow management process. We call it the two week cash flow forecast concept yeah. that uh, essentially think about it. W- the thing that messes a lot of people up is they think in terms of months. And so if you look at a month, a month is a horrible unit of time to measure anything on for the most mm-hmm. part, because we, we live our lives on a weekly basis. We produce on a weekly basis. And the more that you can tie your production schedules to weeks, not months, you're going to gain. And so the idea is a perfect rhythm is you want to complete a complete accounting cycle every, every week. Now I may want to, to, to uh, compress payments for cash flow purposes in alternate weeks. And so one of my favorite methodologies is I pay non-labor uh, um, bills one week and I pay my payroll the next week and I alternate and I pay, you do payroll every two weeks. And so every off week from the payroll, I'm paying everything that's not labor uh, in that. And so those are good cash flow management cycles that essentially for, for seven days, my cash bills up and then I release them, my cash flow bills up and then I release them. And the advantage of doing that is you create a rhythm. And we think rhythm is really important in business to have a specified time to do things. And and you can create consistency of process. You can create predictability. You can create reliability. Person comes to you and says, hey, Dwayne, I, I need a check for this. Great. We cut checks on Friday. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. That'll be fine. Yeah. And, and as long as they you're reliable and you know that that's your rhythm of when things done, you almost never have to get out of sequence to do something that's a one off. And so anything that's dealt with business efficiency, you're trying to get things to work on rhythm and that rhythm occurs fast enough that it takes care of everybody's need in that that process and and creates predictability. That's awesome. And I know that, you know, when, when originally reading the book and, you know, again, it's, it was the idea that, you know, for, for most of the years I figured, all right, well, you know, you run your business at the end of the year, you hopefully have a profit and that profit is yours as the owner, right? You pay some tax out of it, but that's yours. And I always saw it as that, you know, as a business is, you know, basically owning your job. That's what it is. End of the year, whatever's left is yours. And the goal is to keep it as high as possible. But what I've found was, and through reading your book is that that's great. But your business is its own entity. It's its own living, breathing beast. And when you steal from it and take blood out of it, like I was doing every year, the business can't grow. Because if you made $100,000 and you took a $100,000 salary, then the business has zero to grow with. And it's sitting there like, I'm dead. We need to start this business all over again next year. So what really impacted me about your philosophy is the fact that if I want to make $100,000, 50, whatever, fill in the blank, a year, then... I need to make sure I'm in the front side of this, you know, the system so that I am an employee, yeah. quote unquote, in there. And then the business has to make between 10 and 15 percent after I'm paid. Yeah. So to me, I was like, holy crap, that means that what margin do I need to charge my clients? Because we do design manage. So what margin do I need to charge that right. I'm not overcharging? Right. But also not undercharging. So what is that? And for years, we kind of just figured it out as we went. We're like, all right, good. We got money at the end of the year. We're doing good. But never having control over that or having an idea of the, the one action leads to a, to another action. So, OK, what margin do we need to charge in this project? Well, if it's let's just use a number. It's 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent, 40 percent. All right. Who can help me understand 
based on average historical numbers, what that equals at the end of an average year. And will I be at 5, 10, 15, 0% negative, like 20? Like, where am I going to be? So your process helped me figure all that out to a point where it was dialed in. When I started talking with Jack, my, my uh, connection and there, he's, you know, he's like, all right, well, how much do you want to make? All right. All right. Well, I want 15% net margin at the end. Here's what I want for a year for my salary. Cause if I had to replace myself, which I've already done, but we'll be doing, you know, in the future mm -hmm. as well, somebody needs to be paid that amount too. And at the end you're like, okay, well then if we have X amount of volume, how much do I got to mark up every dollar in order to get that end result? And you're like, well, you just got to mark it up this much. And there's the answer. And I'm like, holy shit, 25 years. And I didn't realize it was that easy. Yep. And then to do it month to month, it's, it's it so powerful. Well, I'm, and I'm sure Jack's shown you this, that we, we show this all the time is we, we kind of, when you bottom up it, your operating expenses, those core functional things of facilities, marketing, management, labor, just general noise expenses of the business. Those don't yeah, change that's exactly much. It. I mean, the, 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 you know, and so that's the nut that you got to get over. And so one of the things I, I like to caution people about is percentage thinking. And it's a business ain't about a percentage. It's yep. about dollars. You know, you can't take a percentage down to the grocery store and buy groceries with it. You know, you, you take dollars. And so your goal is, is to find, a, give yourself enough latitude to say, I need to generate. So if my monthly operating expenses uh, before direct labor and, and, and subs and materials is a hundred thousand dollars. Well, first thing I got to do is find a way I got to generate a hundred thousand yeah. dollars of margin somehow, some way. And I don't care what percentage it's at. I got to get enough throughput through the system. Here's the thing that we've seen. I've given this talk in the last six months, multiple times to multiple industry groups. And the thing that we're seeing is, is people are having the trouble right now that they've got work to do, but they can't get it done. They can't get it out the door to a billable event. And that ability to create and Dwayne, this goes back to kind of that weekly rhythm I was talking about. It, you've got to be able to measure how much margin, on, at least estimate, how much margin do we generate this week? And, and I have to stack four weeks together to create a successful month. And I can't wait to the last week of the month to figure out how to Hail Mary the month to, to get over that $100,000 nut that I've got in my OPEX number. And, and what we're finding is, is the exceptional businesses are finding ways to set that target from day one. So like when we talk with our IT uh, uh, clients, you know, they have a fixed monthly billing at the first of the month. And so, okay, well, great. Now you know how much margin you, that still didn't cover everything that you need to make. You've got projects and other non-fixed recurring stuff that you got to do. And so now you got four weeks to do something about it. Well, one week into it, okay, here's where we stand now. You got three weeks left to do something about it. Two weeks into it, here's where we stand now. You got two weeks to do something about it. And creating that sense of urgency and reporting and it doesn't have to be perfect data. This is the part that everybody just, they, they just go nuts over because they try to make it perfect. And so, listen, I'm trying to get good enough data to respond to. And, and that's really, you know, kind of if I was going to describe what we do for a living, it's actually, you know, we're really behavioral economists is what we do. We try to get people to modify their behavior to their best benefit, to, to, to their best outcome. And, and when I can get them to be the best version of themselves to reach their goals, then we want, you know, from that. But it does take 
data, I think, a lot of times to get people to, to respond to this. Now, there, there's some people that won't respond to anything, and I can't help them. But but we've, we, we have a pretty good success rate of if we can get objective data in front of people at the right time, you start to see people modify their outcomes. You know, Greg, that makes a lot of sense because let me tell you something. This is one of the issues that we've, and I guess the, this is a great conversation because I sort of get to dissect our operation while talking to you, while talking to the master. Mm. So one of the things that I, I've actually seen this year is separating the months. Okay. So we actually would have so much cash on hand that I can roll into and have a completely bad month and not realize it really until the end of the month. And you're like, hold on. Right. I had a bad sales month and it didn't really affect me because everything was paid. Everything was covered. Everything was there. But I'm noticing that I'm pulling from the other areas instead of pulling from the inside. Yeah. So separating those months is sort of some of the challenges that we have. Because one thing I learned is you can have a knockout month. Mm. You almost got to get ready for the next month. You have a knockout month. You're going to have a low the next. I mean, that that's just. Uh, well, it, it, it's long been held, Dwayne, that cash is, is, is a massively lagging indicator, especially in the contracting world. It's almost like a, a, a surge of cash in the contracting world is the worst warning sign that you can have because it tells you that all of your existing projects finished and you've put, you've put no money out to start the next one. And, and that's actually a, you know, potentially, I mean, if you're wildly profitable, okay, well, let, let's know how much of that cash uh, needs to be there. And, th and that really points out to one of the key things that we try to really work hard to help our clients understand is how much of that cash do you need for just stable oper operations? So we we have our our signature core capital target. So so Joshua, you've yep, you've heard absolutely. Jack go through. Hey, here here's how much of that cash. Don't even think about spending it, you know, or taking it out of the business because it's what the business needs to be stable. And we have a definitive calculation of. We don't have a guess of a number. We have a number that's for unique for that individual business. And I think that's been a very valuable thing for our clients because it's not, oh, 100 fine or 200,000 is fine. No, it, it's it's based on the scale of the business at that moment in time. And, and it's really given people a good pivot point. And then any cash above that, you get to have the investment decision. Well, if your business is going to return 50 to 100% return on that money, what can we go invest in to make the business get better? Now, sometimes the, the bank's closed. The, the business, there's nothing you can throw money at in the business to make it go bigger and more valuable because it's just that you're down to execution. It's fully capitalized. And it's a wonderful place to be a fully capitalized business, let me tell you. I mean, that that is a powerful position in the marketplace because you've got staying power and everybody else is worrying about making yep. payroll next week. And and you don't even have to have conversations yep. with banks. Uh, so we're doing good? So that means we're doing kinda, good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, okay. I, I may have a line of credit. I've not drawn on it in years. You know, it's like, that's a good place not, to so be. That means we're doing good. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then... But then you're looking at that cash and say, well, what's that other thing? Okay, well, how much of that cash do you have that's not yours that belongs to mm -hmm. the IRS? And, and, you know, and we're having, you know, the unique thing about us is, you know, we're having discussions with you today about what you're going to owe next April yep. 15th and making sure, hey, just understand that 100000 is not yours. Let's put it over in a tax savings account and get it out of your, your operating cash sight line. And so we know that we're operating what we've got. But then the good news is at the end of the day, what the money you got left over, it's yours. It's yours that the business doesn't need it. 
IRS doesn't need it. You can take that and go invest it outside of the business and build wealth and build just like every good investment advisor says, I don't need all my eggs in one basket. Here's the thing, though. You, you want to make sure that business has the best potential return of anything you're able to invest in and just don't starve it until it gets mature. Once it's mature, and, and most of the people listening that doesn't have the right cash numbers, not fully capitalized, they need to go on a distribution diet. And you, you just got to leave the money in there until you get to full capitalization. That typically takes somewhere from three to 12 months. You know, but once you're there, then you can reasonably expect in the contracting world that you know, whatever profit dollar you make, 40% goes out for tax. 30% can go out in profit distribution, 30% gets retained to grow, but you'll probably even pop out most of that 30% that you held for, for capitalization later or probably right after year end. And that's a wonderful wealth building yeah, for sure. you know, that, that people just need to need a picture of how it, how it works. But we've just got so much distortion of how people think about it that, you know, it's been our, our passion to try to get people to understand it clearly and, and see the power in it. Well, Greg, you definitely have done an incredible job with that. And, you know, like I mentioned early on, we, you know, I struggle with some of those bigger numbers and laying all that stuff out, especially as we scaled, you know, we're doubling sales and all that, you know, it goes from a, you know, a, a, like owning your job to owning a business and then, okay, you want that business to be profitable, like any fortune 500 business would be right. And, and see a profit margin for the business and then also get paid as, as a, you know, an officer in that part. But, you know, what I love about your system is that I feel like now I have a CFO, you know, as chief financial officer that's watching these numbers that they're, you're skilled in exactly this, you're a ninja in this. And then you can say things. I love having a conversation with Jack when I'm like, all right, Jack. So if I want to add another designer or I want to add another team member, how much would, first of all, A, I put that in, how much more do we have to generate to support it? And then what's the potential of that person based on certain percentages that we're already producing, right? So, okay, well this, you know, if we add another right. designer, you could add $2 million more in, in revenue because that's the capacity of this designer based on the, and you have the right numbers for it all, but the overall uh, efficiency yeah. of the labor, right? So it's like all these moving parts and levers that I fully don't understand yet. Thank God Jack does, right? But he explains how, okay, Hey, you want to uh -huh. add a person here. If you want to add another, uh, you know, front desk person, that sounds great. So they're going to cost you X amount a year. Here's what you can scale to with this person. And same with the equipment guys out there. You know, if you're thinking about equipment, I want to buy another backhoe or another truck or whatever you can look at it and say, okay, it's a hundred thousand dollars for this truck. What can it generate for me over time based on your production, you know, percentage now. So you, you get a crystal ball. You know, and, and just truth be told, anybody listening out here, I don't get a penny for saying any of this. I'm saying this because it changed my life and it changed my business. And I want to make sure that all of you have access to it, because what Greg's doing is is absolutely groundbreaking when it comes to how you're going to look at your numbers in your business. And it's it's absolutely changed mine. So I want to make sure you get that opportunity. But it's like you get a crystal ball within your business and you have somebody you can go to and say, OK, if I want to do this, how does that affect the business? I want to do that. How does this affect the business? You can bounce things off. And one thing I really love is that we're we can forecast out three, four, six, eight, 10, 12 months. Okay. Given basic, like how does it sales look now? Okay, good. So far it's still looking good. So next month we think we're going to make the same, you know, same amount of capital is going to be coming in. Sure. Okay. How about going out? And we have a conversation for a few months out and then we have some confidence, some surety of what's going on. We don't ever fully know, of course, but at least we could say, okay, we're going to start tax planning 
five, six months before the end of the year and say, okay, good. So I, if, if this holds up like this, then we'll have roughly this much to spend. What do we want to invest in to grow this business by that time? So it's not the last week before, oh crap, I've got a hundred grand sitting here. IRS is going to try to take it. Let's go buy that truck and get that 179 expense, right? We're going to drop that depreciation off this year. And then you get 10 or 15 of those in a row and pretty soon a tail's wagging a dog and you can't make your damn payments, but you save tax money. You know, it's like, it's, it's, right. it's so backwards, yeah. but that's how they're taught. That's how we're taught in this industry. I was guilty of that in the beginning too. I'm like, yeah. I just go for the shiny object. My accountant says, go buy a truck. That'll take this tax down. And so, all right, so I'm gonna save 20,000, but I have to spend a hundred to get it or whatever the number. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. And then I've got payments for five years on this thing. Yes. And you're going to save tax money today. And to realize that's all bullshit and bogus and you need to relook at your business the way Greg's talking about, because once you do, you then harness the power of a business that creates it, an ROI for you, a return on investment, not just a paycheck. Yeah. It, 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 it aggravates me that so many of my peers, you know, the first words out of their mouth when you make a profit is, well, do you, do you, you know, you need to go buy some equipment. Yeah. If I've gone 50 weeks out of the year and didn't need to buy it, why do I need yep. to buy it now? You yeah. know, it, Profit is a wonderful that thing. That makes sense. And yeah, we, we actually, yeah. Um, I, I was following, you know, I sort of bootlegged the the whole operation, getting it going, and I read Profit First and stuff like that. And it has been one of the greatest catalysts for us. And I, th- I think I, I'm going to take a look more in depth because I'm I just, I, I'm having the aha moments talking to you. But mm. we actually do have the tax savings account. You know I mean, and it is building up every single time money comes in. We have a certain percentage that goes in there and it just stays and right. it just keeps building, building, building. So now at the end of this year, when it comes to pay, I don't really care. You know, it's there. It's there for that. And it's going to pay for that. And I can just keep moving and going forward. Yep. You know, we actually do have the profit account. There's an account where we yeah. have a certain percentage of profit. It goes there. What I got the aha moment on today is, is breaking down and separating these months. Yeah. And not just seeing a big nut there and saying, okay, I'm over what I think I am. Spin, spin, spin. I can actually even keep the health and growth of this operation for months to come. Yep. Well, the, the other thing, too, that you got to look at is segmentation. And so we've, we've got some unique concepts around as businesses grow and become more diverse, do they do different things? Mm-hmm. And so are there lines of business that have different dynamics to it? Mm-hmm. Either I my, I get different payment terms, I got different margin outcomes, uh, or I've got a, a range of outcomes across projects. So like one of my uh, concrete contractors, we were having a call this week and, you know, they, they really struggled back during last winter because, you know, they, they got a little nervous and took some jobs at really low profit thinking that, oh, you know, they, they, they better keep their people busy. And it's like, they were well capitalized and it's like, ah, no, 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 no. And, and they're, they're, they're living with it today because those jobs are just now finishing and it's kept them from higher margin jobs that were available. And they, they just got a little nervous and pulled the trigger sooner than they should have. And, and those are the kind of things that when you can go through the model and quantify decision-making, you know, that to me is, is really where, you know, we've been able to help our clients significantly in that, you know, you got an idea. Great. Well, let's throw some numbers at it. Let, 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 let's quantify it. Let, let's don't talk about it in theory. And you just, you know, throw some money on the wall and, and see if it sticks. No, let, let's quantify and set some expectations. So, Greg, where does like a new like you mean a lot of this stuff? 
what we're talking about today is it's taken me years to, 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 to build. And I actually understand after even talking, it was first sort of gargly at first. And now after listening where I got it, but let's say we take a new guy, he's been in business for like a year, two years. How do we get them? Or cause I, you know, I don't believe in waiting till the ship is crashing and you got to try to figure it out. Like I'd rather somebody learn it now. Like what do they dial into now? Like, like let, let's take a guy who's just making a, a hundred grand a year and he thinks he's making some money. I mean, what do you tell him to do now to get him to this point? Well, I mean, our, our process, you know, that, 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 you know, that Joshua went through is, is pretty straightforward in that you take what you're currently doing and let's look back at the last three years and just replay it to you in our structure. Because the key is we got to break it down between what's the business engine, what's the business chassis. And you got to have a clear understanding. So one of the unique things, we look at data one way for all businesses. So our simple numbers model does not change for industry. So we, we feel like we have nailed how an economic model works for every operational business enterprise mm-hmm. that exists and it works and 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 so and we'll do some modifications to show you an alternative view of something you might want to see but we look at it by the simple numbers model and and look at it here's the PL model and then here's the capital model and those two things have to be in harmony and so as we look back the first thing that we we can tell you that we can get an early win on is when was a at least a three to 12 month period of time that you were at your best. Because I, I can convince you to get back to what you've already done before. Why are you off from that? Why have you you deviated from that? What were you doing then that you're not doing now? And let's get back to there. But then it's much like, you know, being a long distance runner. You're trying to achieve personal best. And so profitability uh, both in volume and rate of performance, labor efficiencies, uh, return on invested capital, those all become, you know, you're trying to do your PBs, your personal best. What can we get personal best at for all of these benchmarks that tells us we're running a successful business? And, and so once you're measuring them, then you start to respond to that. And then it's that rhythm of once you do the initial planning session to, to take the data. And, and one of the kind of our best skill sets is we can make sense out of bad data. I mean, you, you, we don't have to do a big cleanup project to give you some guidance as to what has happened. As long as we have enough of the data, we can kind of normalize it because we're doing it in a model offline. We can make some some minor corrections in those things that if it if we need to fix stuff later, that's fine. Most of the time we're able to just say, okay, from this point forward, let's just do it this way. And and this will will this will prove your ability to tag data to be able to get get insight from it. And then it's just that rhythm of as you get that feedback point, we're really just an accountability partner to push that data in front of you every month and say, here's what you did. You know, uh, here's what you said last month. Here's what actually happened. Either you beat it or you didn't. And what, what's, what are you going to yep. do about it? And, you know, and we kind of have a few experiences yeah. to share. So, and we, we, we've done this a few Greg, times. What, what I love, Greg, and, so and, much. And so absolutely. Really what I love else. so much about how what you bring to the table, your operation brings to the table, is that you have a multiple, you know, multidisciplinary different industries. So we're not just dealing with, oh, you're just working with contractors. I love going outside of our industry to find other very smart people and bring them in. Yeah. And that you deal with everything from IT to contracting to uh, I, you name it. And that's the beautiful part about this model. It doesn't matter yeah. what industry you're in for it to work. They 
cut all that crap off the top and you get right into the guts of a business, the engine that runs every single business that is a business. And that's the cool part about it. And they can, it's not just because I know when I, uh, when I was younger, I was thinking I need to find somebody in my industry because they understand me. They understand my business. I'm different than everybody is this whole identity thing. The reality is it's not business is business is business, right? And once you scrape the crap off the top, like you said, and get rid of all those identities and get into the core engine of the business. Now, all of a sudden you can really open that hood up and check all the pieces. Is the alternator in the right place? Is the, you know, uh, yeah. is, is the carburetor in the right place? Is it thr- Is everything working right? Right. But the cool part about your program also is that we get a dashboard. So each month when we sit down with Jack, we go through it and, and we sit down and next thing you know, we're looking at this dashboard and see the green, yellow, or red, right? All the numbers. And there's only a few there. They're key numbers. And you say, okay, we look, you're hoping for all green, right? But it's not always that way. Sometimes there's yellow, which is caution, a little bit different than months before or red, something big changed. Maybe you got a big slug of cash last month for a project and this month you didn't get that slug and then things are off, right? So, but question is, what does next month look like? And so you're, you're guiding your, your ship, your business on a journey that you're setting, you know, you're setting the course ahead of time and then moving through. And if the storm comes up, you can adjust around the storm because you can see it coming. And that's the beautiful part about this whole crystal ball idea and the dashboard that you take all these spreadsheets that are there that back up the data. And you say, look, here's all you got to focus on the dashboard. And then we'll get into why this way. I've told Jack many times, I'm like, keep it simple for me. Okay. Just keep me on that front side and just show me some of the pieces and how, how we either missed the mark this month or we crushed it. What did we do last month to crush it? Let's keep doing more of that and let's get away from the other piece. But to have that uh, that awareness, that that uh, that visual aid, my goodness, it is like it's it's incredible. It's so powerful in a business. Well, and we, we we've seen this too, where people have this desire to grow and scale, but sometimes growth yeah, isn't good. Not not all growth is good. I mean, we, we've we've we had a client we did a session for recently that had grown from forty million in revenue to fifty million, and yeah. they made less money. And and we're we're having to go through and deconstruct the steps that they made to go from 40 to 50 and say, okay, here's the segments that you took on. Here's the stuff you were doing that you let slide. Here's the stuff you took on that was poorly priced. Let's fix those. You know, and, and, and so the worst thing in the world is do more revenue and make less money. I mean, that's, that, I, I don't know what universe that makes sense in. And Greg, another thing is I so often see, you know, guys trying to take on every single possible service, right? They're starting their business. They're hungry. They get going. And pretty soon they start out wanting to do hardscapes or wanting to do landscapes or whatever the hell it might be. Right. And then all yeah. of a sudden they're power washing right. houses and they're, they're, you know, changing tires on lawnmowers and they're just mm-hmm. raking leaves for cash. And then you go through this process and you look and you're like, wait a minute here. So I did all that work and I made barely nothing on it, but my hardscape, I made tremendous amount, you know, like all these different things. You start thinking, okay, these are some services that I need to give up because they really aren't providing any kind of revenue. They're actually a biggest pain in the ass and they provide very little revenue where the other ones are things I'm excited about and I make a lot more or vice versa, depending, but you can actually see into the numbers then and see which ones are producing that. And that's really another very, very uh, key optic that you need when you're running a business. Well, and there's, you know, and especially in the contracting world, I mean, there is a, there's a model for self-performance. There's a model for contracting and, and you, you can't violate either one of them. And, and, and that's really where I think a lot of people that, okay, I'm fine if you want to be the sales source for something, but there's a margin that you should get for that value. And if you look at it, there's four things that happen in every business transaction. There's marketing, there's sales, scoping and closing, there's oversight. And then there's the actual product or service. 
And there's a value for each one of those four components. And too many times, you know, I, I still think the, the marketing, if, if you're going to assign a rough value that works most of the time, 20% is the value for marketing, 10% is the value for scoping and closing and getting it to contract, 10% is the value for oversight, and 60% is the value of the product or service. And you can mush those plus or minus 5%, you know, you know either way, given certain circumstances, but that 20, 10, 10, 60 actually works the vast majority of the time, amazingly enough. That's incredible. So you said marketing skill, marketing sales. Mar marketing sales over manage oversight okay. project management and then the product or service okay. itself okay so, taking heavy notes i see that like, man. You're you know i mean yeah. we're in a good position you mean we're several million dollars a year and i feel like after listening to you guys i feel like i've hustled my way here yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i'm listening to greg and i'm like i'm doing good but i'm hustling you like you know what i mean like it sounds like i'm a hustler you know what i mean and and listening to greg is like it's time because I'm the same way. It's like, it's time to grow the company. Yeah. And I have these, these numbers that say, okay, next year, let's grow it here. But now it's time to bring in the big guns in order to make it grow. Cause what's, what's the reason for growth? If you're not going to have it all managed properly and yeah. everything put yeah. in the right spot, because I can like what I'm managing now where I want to grow to, that's a lot of calculating in, in the, in the evening, trying to figure out if everything's in the right place. I mean, yeah. that's too much. Yeah. And you yeah, don't want to waste a tools. year figuring out that you weren't right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a bigger thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do, you know, I mean, business requires, you know, much quicker cycle corrections. You cannot let time pass without, uh, we'll, we'll watch it for a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know too many people have that. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> must have a lot of cash. In <laughs> yeah, that That's for yeah, sure. Cool. So Greg, anything else you want to drop on our listeners before we wrap up here? Oh, I, we, we've probably hurt their head at this point. So, you know, it'll, it'll probably be, be enough for them to chew on, you know, for a while. And so they can, uh, then go check out, you know, e either one of the books, those are available on Amazon. And my goal is, is by first of the year, we'll get the audible books have been recorded. I'm trying to, it's in the process of getting through the, the hoops of technical things to get them up there for audible for both books as well. But there's a ton of videos. I mean, if you just Google simple numbers or Greg Crabtree, uh, there's a ton of stuff on YouTube that I've kind of freely let people, you know, videotape my, my talks. And so a bunch of people have posted stuff that I didn't have anything to do with. Um, and then the simple numbers dot me is the, is the simple numbers website that has some free content, some videos as well on that one, uh, that, that people can go to. And, uh, but, uh, certainly if they're interested in, in help, uh, they can reach out, uh, uh, there's a contact form on the simple numbers dot me site, or they can just reach out to me directly, Greg Crabtree at C R I C P A dot com. Uh, and, uh, we can, uh, get them connected up and see what we can do to help. No, I certainly appreciate it. Do we have any other questions for Greg before we wrap up? No, I, I have a lot more questions, but uh, I'll work them in. You I mean, I'll probably call them here pretty soon. Oh, we, we can always come back and do yeah, another course, one. Yeah. So we, I, mean, we, so we, I, I know we're running you know. short on time, so I just got to stop and just yeah. take it all in. When I need to take it all in anyway, I'll go through my <laughs> notes. <laughs> well, Greg, I certainly appreciate you being on today. I, I always love listening to to yeah. you know, your content and you've, you've revolutionized business for me. And Dwayne, you know, it's, it would think it'd be a, a very, very wise choice to get, uh, you know, Greg part of your team. And 
and to, to kind of unload that whole burden of, of, am I doing it right? Am I, you know, the, man, to have the confidence to know you're doing it right or you're not doing it right and the, the direct, how to correct that and go in a different direction so that you can look back in a year and be like, holy crap, I just avoided a cliff, you know, and, and being able to do that ahead of time, having the optics within your business and not just keeping your fingers crossed and hope like hell you're going to make more money to cover up your mistakes from yesterday is, is so powerful, not just for you, but for your family, for your legacy, for your business, eventually maybe you give the business to the kids. You want to give it to them or have them buy it from you when it's broken, or would you rather give them something that's an actual machine that creates an ROI and helps pay their, their way through life as well. So there's just so many things that ride on this decision, guys. So really, you know, if you want to engage Greg, I, I can only high re highly recommend it. I love working with these guys. I look forward to our meeting every month we go through and sometimes they show me things I'm happy about and sometimes they don't and uh, we have to adjust, you know, but I'd rather have my thumb on the pulse of it than keeping my eyes closed and my fingers crossed. So anyway, reach out to, to Greg. He's going to be able to help you out. And they can have lots of different programs for you. Um, so you guys know that, you know, our goal is to impact and empower, you know, 2 million contractors out there in the next, well, Dwayne, it's, it's only like four and a half years. So it's, we said five and it's coming quick. So if you guys, you know, found value in the conversation today with Greg and, you know, find somebody in your life that you think this could help, you know, share the podcast with them. Uh, it helps everybody. And the goal here is to really, you know, spread the word and give people the option and the, the ability to find the, the content they need. So, uh, you know, our mission is to change the industry and become the standard in which, you know, everybody communicates through our Yes Express platform and um, through our teaching as well. So, Greg, thank you for being on. And uh, guys, we'll catch you next round. All right. Thank you. All right. Good deal. Thanks, everybody.